Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. It is seven minutes after eight. Thanks so much for tuning in. And thank you so much, um, you know, for really engaging and participating and uh, being so accepting of the new series that we've started on. And uh, the uptake has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, Just the number of hits on our website. Fantastic. Uh, So if you I don't know where you've been, if you've missed it, but uh, we started last week with a new series whereby we are speaking to thought leaders across South Africa. And um, we are talking about our current political landscape, what is happening and what it actually means. And of course, uh, we get their thoughts and then we get you to interact. And uh, this morning, some of you uh, have actually asked for us to bring back uh, Terry Oakley-Smith. If you remember, we did a few short interviews with Terry and some of you actually requested that we bring Terry back for a longer interview. So indeed, we asked her, she's here and uh, Terry's piece we apologize will go up slightly later on uh, today so um, if you go to the website it's not there currently uh, we'll upload it later on in the day so this morning we're going to talk about uh, race and race relations within our body politic and especially looking at how things are playing out currently um, quite a number of people were saying you know the one thing that President Zuma has managed to do is to unite uh, South Africans across the racial divide by getting South Africans to come out and march against him. Well, that being said, there were, of course, uh, worrying incidents, uh, placards that were uh, distasteful and uh, caused quite a bit of consternation because they were, quite frankly, racist mm-hmm. uh, in their messaging. So uh, that seems, uh, it seems like something that still we haven't gotten away with. But if you think back and, 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 and if you think of where we come from as a country that had institutionalized racism, and then we had the Mandela years where we seemingly and I say that, you know, uh, very guardedly did well uh, with regard to race relations. You'll remember the Rugby World Cup of 95. And then you had uh, the African Nations Cup football uh, triumphs in 96. And people thought, you know what, we were on a good wicket at that time. Um, uh, we had the term rainbow nation that was coined. And it all seemed well for a while. But then some would argue that those race relations regressed under uh, subsequent presidents of this country. But were we ever really in such a good a space that we could call ourselves a rainbow nation? Or was that just wishful thinking on the part of some? And how far have we come? Um, if we had institutionalized racism, why did we not take greater care of finding a more, um, you know, institutionalized almost response to correct what had happened previously. So we're going to talk about that somewhat, but of course, all about the contemporary situation and where we find ourselves currently. And Terry Oakley-Smith, thank you so much for coming through. It's a great pleasure, Sakina. Thank you for inviting me. So with all of that said, it, it is, of course, a mouthful, but... Um, the complexity of our uh, race uh, race situation in South Africa is one that cannot be underestimated. And uh, 
whenever we think we are getting over it or getting ahead, there's something to remind us that uh, actually, hold up, you need to go back Mm. and address a few things. But have we ever addressed this issue in any meaningful way? You know, I think the the great problem is that we, we really haven't. So that even through the Mandela era where there were less disruptions around race, um, I don't believe that we were really united as as people of different races in South Africa. I think if we look at what happened with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, and if we look at how we as white peoples literally got off scot-free after all those years of apartheid, colonization, there was no recompense for white South Africans. There was no taxation. There was no, um, I don't want to use the word punishment, but there should have been some kind of retribution. And I think it's made it extremely uncomfortable all round. There was not even an apology, Sakina. And I remember in those days trying to unite white South Africans around building of a monument, collection of taxes, uh, creating an apology for apartheid. And then Carl Niehaus from the um, ANC took over the initiative, and I don't know what happened to it. It was something called Homes for All. But anyway, to get to the bottom of it, we got off scot-free. We did nothing as whites. We didn't even apologize for our role in apartheid. And we may say, our, our children may say, oh, but I wasn't even born then. They're still enjoying the privilege of being white South Africans in South Africa. So all whites are enjoying that privilege. But I think there was a much better era. If I think um, myself about the time of the UDF, I think one, one of the most incredible things about the UDF was the way it managed to unite so many organizations and all races um, in an attempt to overthrow the apartheid state. And it comprised African people, people of the ilk of Murphy Morobi, Frank Chikani, colored South Africans. One thinks of the incredible role played by Alan Bussack in those days. South Africans of Indian descent like Vali Musa and earlier MJ Naidu and Billy Nair and, and white South Africans. And one thinks of someone like Raymond Sutner. Then the ANC came to power in 1994. The UDF became part of the ANC. And the ANC did, as you said, in the, Mande- in the Mandela era, preach non-racialism. Um, white South Africans, colored South Africans, um, South Africans of Indian descent rallied to the cause. And in the early days of the um, ANC, which I remember very well, um, there was a great feeling of non-racialism and people working together to build a new country. I think... We became fractured again when President Mbeki spoke about the two nations. And of course, he was absolutely right. He spoke about the two nations, the whites who were relatively prosperous and the blacks who were poor, increasingly poor. And I think then whites, instead of reacting to their to the to their role during the apartheid years split off and became increasingly attracted to organizations like the DA and some of the more right-wing kind of organizations and then clearly you know our history is is very complex but i think it's difficult to even think of any incident that has happened recently in the body politic where race has not been an issue 
As you say, even the marches against Zuma, some were characterized as white marches because there、mm. were more white marches, and whites don't normally march. Although, of course, we did march in the old days, but we haven't marched recently. And I think you make a very good point when you talk about. Um, the diff- why people were marching against it wasn't that they were all united in wanting to get to the bottom of corruption or state capture, and there were some very unfortunate placards and and racist images of President Zuma. Then, if one looks recently at the、um, r- unfortunate, in my view, resignation of Varshni Varash- Pillay around the whole Huff Post thing, and the white man trying to pass himself off as a white woman. Talking about the need for white men to 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 no longer have the vote, and then of course there's this ludicrous, in my view, visit from Rachel Dolezal, who is a white American trying to pass herself off as a black. I mean, there are so many things that we're dealing with in terms of race, and I think it remains a fundamental issue for all South Africans. I still, I believe it's. I don't know. I mean,、um, um, Australians did something, and many years later, Germans did something after the Second World War. But I think unless we, as whites, somehow pay retribution for the for the crimes of apartheid and colonisation, it's going to be very difficult to build any kind of a rainbow nation. But where do we even start when we can't even speak honestly and truthfully about these matters? Because inevitably,、um, when you start the conversation, already people get their backs up and they shut down.、Mm. So, how do we get ahead if we can't even talk about it? Well, you see, I think that the talking about it is so critical,、um, and I think that's really where where we need to start. I mean, today apparently is Democracy Day in schools, and schools are all having an opportunity to to learn something about the democratic process. I mean, ov- and obviously schools are key terrain for teaching children about our apartheid past, about race, about diversity, and about the importance of inclusivity in institutions. Um, and then wherever South Africans congregate, whether it be in in churches, mosques,、um, temples, whether it be in groups, wherever we get together, we need to talk about these issues, because otherwise, we, I only hear the views of people like me. You only hear the views of people like you, because how many of us genuinely have same status? Relationships across racial lines. Very few South Africans still do. I think it's eighteen percent in the last survey said that they had genuine friendships with people of other races. So unless we sort of artificially begin to do this through relying on our institutions, I don't think we're going to get very far. And you know, you talked earlier also about institutional racism. I mean, there's a racism without racists, Sakina. Racism is far deeper than the utterances of a penny sparrow, however vile they may be. Racism is still embedded in our institutions, in our economy, and so we need to address those issues as well. How do we begin to address those if there isn't an acknowledgement that there is a problem? Well, I think you know most right-thinking people would have to acknowledge that there is a problem. I mean, twenty-three years on from from the ANC coming to power, and we still have these ruptures around race. Clearly, it has not been dealt with. So, you know, I think one would have to acknowledge.、Um, 
if one looks at organizations like Ahri Forum, which is very focused on on um on on the issues of whites and what you know what what happens to whites on white privilege and so on and who wants to deems to see employment equity as reverse racism which it clearly is not then we have ruptures and we need to look at them i mean organizations like afri forum need to be debated very seriously so that their views can be tackled um and um seriously addressed so we're speaking to uh, Terry Oakley-Smith this morning and we're looking at uh, the role of race and racism and uh, how that manifests currently in our body politic. And uh, we'd love to hear your views. 891 is our call-in number. 40938 for your SMSs. Charged at 150 per SMS. And you can also tweet or Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM and we'll take your calls in just a moment. But I also just want to talk quickly about um, this point that you make that talking race in South Africa is not just talking about black and white. Mm. No, absolutely not. Um, And I think that we miss um, a huge um, need to to bring other South Africans into this discussion. I mean, although uh, South Africans of Indian descent are the smallest percentage of the population, they're still a very important part of our population. Coloured South Africans, it's a hugely complex area. The, um, people from orig- originating from Java, from Malay, uh, South Africans, people of mixed races, um, those of them that want to be considered black, those of them that, wa- that don't want that, um, that, that label. I mean, I think, the, um, and then the issues of racism towards Indians. You, you may remember a while ago that song, Ama India, which was very negative about South Africans of Indian descent. So, I think there are those issues and they're very important ones. But if you think back to where this all began with the colonization of South Africa, with apartheid in particular, that was very much a white initiative. So I think that whites have a greater responsibility to try and rebuild race relations. But we also can't ignore the the, um, the role of coloured and Indian South Africans and the major parts they've played in overthrowing apartheid and trying to build non-racialism in South Africa. So let's talk about it. 891 What is your take on this particular matter? And um, whenever we talk about race and race relations, you always have people who will just try and shut down the conversation. Uh, people who will tell you, oh, there you go again. No, it's not, oh, there you go again. It's about we still having these conversations because we haven't managed to get to a place where they are no longer needed or no longer necessary. Uh, so let's talk about what it is uh, that your hang-ups are because some of us do have hang-ups about these discussions, never mind the acts that come along with them, and um, they need to be addressed. Again, when we talk about things like white privilege, for example, Mm. so many people will say to you, they don't understand what that even means. What is white privilege? So call. Let's talk about it. And, um, you know, issues like generational wealth, which uh, Terry touched Mm. upon, and and, and how that continues to uh, manifest and to uh, maintain the status quo in our society is also something that needs to be discussed. And I was saying to Terry offline, um, when you look at, for example, when Africa Forum approaches the United Nations, 
conditions uh, to talk about farm murders. That is another subject that for me is in, uh, mm. in need of great discussion and what is meant by that. Because, yes, white farmers don't deserve to get killed the way they are, but neither does any other South African Crime touches all of us. Mm. It's not something that's peculiar to one uh, uh, sect of society. And also, why should there be exceptionalism when we speak about certain uh, sectors of our society and how they ought to be treated, how their crime needs to be dealt with? It Mm. cannot be because, again, as a black woman... I would say let's start there because the black woman is under siege. She's under siege in her home. She's not safe in her home. She's not safe in school. She's not safe in the workplace. She's not even safe in public transport as we have witnessed of late. So, again, I would be the first to say that comparisons are odious. But if we have to go there in order to make a point, then let's do that. Let's have an honest conversation mm. about these things. Oh eight nine one one oh four two oh eight. Hassan is calling us from Cresta. Good morning. Hi, Sakina. Uh, listen, man, uh, I agree with you fully about uh, how a woman is more likely to be raped walking down the street than a guy. So clearly there are big problems there beyond race and uh, that must be tackled uh, as well. But uh, my, my call has been about uh, local areas and the impact of uh, why people have become more conservative. I mean, it's not only a politi- conscious political choice that they decided to vote this way or that way, but some of the political parties, like the DA earlier and its predecessors, have made crime issues a very, very uh, big topic for their campaigning. So what happens with the increased crime in our townships, and including rape and that, people have automatically seen the perpetrator in their racist way as being black. And uh, 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 what then happens is that they, they align their feelings in such a way, they start saying stuff like, oh, it's become more unsafe since there's been a, a, a democracy, knowing that the apartheid-imposed security was really a security for a few. So there, that is an issue. So people are not simply... The, the, the whole fear factor has been a big part in making people more conservative and why they vote for conservative groups or even side with conservative causes. You know, uh, and then secondly, I think an issue that has not been discussed, we're trying to talk about rebuilding communities. In our areas where we live, and uh, quite rightly, uh, the schools had to change, uh, and there's no justification why there should be an uh, Indian-only school. But you find that the schools don't have any character of the local kids there. The kids are bused to another area, and all our kids in, in, in our area are bused from the neighboring townships. Uh, and great for them, but they've largely come for a better management. I'm not convinced whether the education is that much better, you know, than, than maybe some of the Soweto schools. So clearly all that different groupings that are coming there show there's a greater connection with kids and, and uh, racial mixing, but they seem that we have not addressed something more constructively about public services or being of high quality that can help to promote an anti-racist uh, solidarity culture amongst us. All right, thanks, Hassan in Cresta. Nsanza in Durban, good morning to you. Good morning, Sakin, how are you? Good, and you? Sure, I'm fine. You know, as we have not addressed the question of the constitution and the preamble, uh, because African people in particular are a very respecting nation. When I talk about uh, Africans, I talk about Kalat, I talk about the Khoisan, I talk about Africans themselves. Uh, that the preamble of the Constitution is the one that is not helping us. So that uh, uh, white people are going to respect that 
South Africa is the land which is owned by the African natives and it belongs to all who live in it. Once we address that, everybody is going to respect what people respect that this land owned by the kings and queens. I tell you what, we'll try and get you back on a better line in Tlantai and Durban. Let's hear from James and Nelspreet in the meantime. Morning, James. Oh, good morning. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's the 21st century. I think we've got to start finding new ways of dealing with old problems that, that obviously aren't going to go away. Now, my definition of racism is that it's a collection of hang-ups that politicians turn into a political record. Now, unfortunately, I've got to use the word hang-up because it's a very descriptive word, but it has negative connotations. Okay. But racism has to be a problem of the mind. There's nowhere else it can be. It cannot be in any other part of your body other than in the mind. And to understand this whole problem, once you understand it, then you can work out a solution. So you're going to have to work out, you have to going to find out how the mind works. That is why I'd like to see the panel of experts, people understand the mind, to sit down behind closed doors, no politicians, and they thrash out this thing and they, they unpack the whole thing little bit by little bit. The Buddhists have a way of, um, of unpacking things, unpacking emotions, and then they break them up and they put them all back together and you get a much better picture of reality. So unless you tackle it from a position of the mind, I just don't see how you're ever going to get further than, than, than where we are at the moment. At the moment, we're just, we're just accusing each other of being racist and that's it, and it's not going any further than that. If you compare Obama to Jesse Jackson, now Jesse Jackson made a career out of playing the race card. In fact, there's nothing much else to him. Obama often spoke about racism, but he never played the race card. So Jackson was always going to be part of the problem because whites just stopped listening to it after a while. Obama will always be part of the solution. You know, when, when Obama talks about racism, then you listen. Now, when he came to Madiba's funeral, he got a standing ovation probably because he was black. But what did he talk about? He spoke about good governance, accountable governance, responsible governance. And that's what everybody wants in the world. And that is the whole solution. I don't claim to have all the answers, but that is the solution to the problem. It is just plain good governance. You work on the theory that success breeds success. Everybody wants to be part of a success. Nobody wants to be part of a failure. We saw that with the 2010 World Cup. Everybody wanted a part of it. If it had failed, the politicians would have still been pointing fingers at each other. Seem to have lost him there, um, and that was, I think, James in Nalsprate. Uh I'm going to read a few messages, and then we'll come back with a more comprehensive response uh, from Terry to that after the news break. Alex in Fishhook says, So, Terry, black people can't make a success of themselves until white people give them money. Sounds quite disempowering to me. Dave Kay in the Eastern Cape says, Blacks are killing each other. Um, what's that called? Uh, Nick in Hilton, uh, why the hell should I apologize? Apologize. Apartheid was not my doing. I've paid more than my share of dues. And Jen in KZN says, the biggest mistake is expecting people to lower their expectations or to give up wealth instead of focusing on power empowerment and confidence in own ability to succeed through one thing, education, the great equalizer. It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live. And thank you so much for tuning in. Well, it's one of those mornings uh, touching raw nerves this morning because we are talking about our current political situation. And this morning we're in conversation with Terry Oakley-Smith, who's the Managing Director of Diversity, which is a change management consultancy and human resource development and training organization. And uh, their key areas are organizational transformation, diversity management, culture auditing, and capacity building. And we're talking about the impact 
of race relations in our body politics this morning and uh, yeah i must say uh, much of it to be expected much of it that we have heard before as um, james also pointed out but of course much of it also still needs to be discussed whether we like it or not and you can call me all sorts of names it it, it really doesn't matter um it, it's it's all the same it has to be discussed. Uh, 0891 is the call-in number. Uh, 40938 per SMS. And you can also tweet or Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM. Uh, but Terry, uh, perhaps just a response from you first to the calls we took before the break. I thought Assam's comments were very interesting because it's actually something that I've observed myself. We've been working, um, we were working with the Ahmed Kathrada Foundation doing community dialogues on race. And um, the issue of many children from Soweto being bussed into Linasia for school and children from Linasia being bussed into uh, suburban schools was a big issue because basically what you're doing is keeping the character of schools that apartheid created you're just moving the the kind of numbers of the, the the faces of the children into different places so that instead of schools becoming places where where children can genuinely integrate and learn from each other they remain as stuck as they were during apartheid and i, I also enjoyed what um what asad said about the fear factor and the way that that's made white people let's say some white people, I don't want to be accused of generalizing, although I realize I am to some extent, but the idea that, you know, the fear factor making us fearful was making white people more conservative and that some political parties and some organizations play on that fear. Um, I think that was a very, a very important point that he made. Um, and Tlantla, I think if only all of us could remember the preamble to the Constitution, um, I think we might all be starting off from a better place. I thought James's contribution was, was very interesting and in a way deflecting us from the issues that we really want to talk about. Yes, it would be good if we could get people into little huddles with Buddhists and really you know, unpack the issues of what racism means. But in the meantime, what are we going to do as ordinary South Africans who confront each other every day and who want to build a better country? You know, we can't just keep on imagining that somewhere or other there's a group of experts that knows better than we do. We actually have to confront our own responsibility for it. Um, and then some of the um, the SMSs that came through, um, white people saying that they don't see why they have to apologize. Um, I, I personally think that probably a, black, a lot of black people would say it's much too late for that. And I really wonder, Sakina, if white South Africans understand the level of anger that there is now in the black community. I mean, I'm fortunate in a way that through my work with diversity, I have the privilege of working with many kinds of South Africans every day in the workplace, at universities, um, in schools. And I can tell you that I sense the levels of black anger rising. And when I hear things like, oh, well, you know, I, you know, I managed to get a master's degree. Um, and ju yes, well done. But does that person really understand that it would have been impossible for a black, an African person particularly, like him or her, to have managed that in those days?
the poverty, the inequality in our country is so stark. The land issue has not even been addressed adequately. And so I, I just think there's no way that we as whites can sort of burrow down into our little hollows and think that things are all going to be okay. We are going to have to take some responsibility and we're going to have to play some part, whether we like it or not. Well, 891 is the calling number. Let's hear from ZD in Durban. Good morning, ZD. Good morning to you, Sakina, and your guest as well. And mm. I just want to bring something to your notice and to your guest. I want to ask your guest if this is racist or if it's racism. In a workplace, or when, uh, let me put it this way, not a workplace, in any particular place, when a person is an authority, he, he or she will always employ um, the person of her, his or her race um, as a secretary or someone who's very close or the right-hand person of that particular person who's in authority. So I don't know whether it's racist because it's happening up to this very day. Because when I deal with people, I always find the head of department is that race and the secretary is of the same race. So I find that they, I don't know whether it's racism or what's the reason for them to employ that particular person of the same race as a person in authority. Um, and, and even when a person gets married uh, to another race group, do you think the racism has faded away because you married someone in another race group? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either, Sakina. But anyway, ask your guest to reply. Well, thank online. you so much, ZD. Uh, let's hear from Yaj in Cape Town. Morning, Yaj. Hi, Sakina. I agree 100% with your guest on, on the issues of the economic divides exacerbating the, the anger and all of that in this country. And they, you know, I think while we need to fight, consciously fight racial, racist stereotyping at all times, we must also work hard to address this economic divide and the legacy. And we can do that not through racially discriminatory policies, but we can do that with fundamental economic uh, transformation uh, in terms of a land tax, which is non-discriminatory. You're taxing people on the value of the land, not on the basis of their race. You can have a basic income that goes to all citizens in the country who will have more benefit for the poor majority who happen to be black, and that's not discriminatory on race at all. So we can do fundamental economic changes that address the legacy of colonialism, apartheid, and everything without necessarily discriminating people on the basis of race. So instead of a white tax, have a land tax. Instead of, uh, you know, can have a transaction tax. And those who, you know, do the, the high amounts of transactions who happen to be wealthy, uh, the wealthy white elite, then they will pay more tax. So, you know, there are ways and means of addressing the legacy of apartheid and reducing the inequality and poverty in this country uh, without using race as a criterion. Okay, got you. Thanks, Yajin. Cape Town, Mark, also in Cape Town. Good morning. I think what we need to get, you know, we need to define what do we mean by race. The Bible doesn't speak about race. It speaks, you know, it tells us that all people have descended from Adam and Eve, created in the image of God. Uh, that was the view of people like William Wilberforce that did more than any individual to eradicate, to try and eradicate slavery. Uh, it, it was the view of people like David Livingston, the missionary, uh, Saul Plyke, John Dube, and of course, the, uh, Albert de Tully, 
who said, I was spoiled by being created in the image of God. Uh, Robert Subukwe said, there is only one race, the human race. But, and, and even when the British uh, there was, uh, took over the Cape Colony in 1853, there was no discrimination based on race for the, vote, for the voting franchise. It was based on property ownership and, and uh, education. But something dramatically changed halfway through the 19th century. And the famous evolutionist Stephen Jay Gould, he said that biological arguments for, for racism increased by orders of magnitude with the acceptance of evolutionary theory. Darwin said uh, in his book, The Scent of Man, he believed that the so-called civilized races would exterminate the savage races. So we have two diametrically opposed views of, of well, the Bible doesn't talk about race, that we are equally created in the image of God. Uh, the, the modern era of racism was driven by Darwinism, and yet we continue to indoctrinate our children in this philosophical idea of evolution and Darwinism today, and we never will get away from the notion of race. Biologically, even biologically, race means nothing. It's, it's, as, it's as significant as having different sized noses or shaped noses, but, but we continue to teach this idea to our children today that, uh, that uh, racism goes back to our origins okay. uh, and the idea that we've come from these ape-like creatures and uh, this philosophical idea of how we got here without God. Okay, thank you, Mark, in Cape Town. Dabezita in Umzimkulu, good morning. Good morning, Sakin, how are you? Well, and you? I'm good, Sakin. I three points that I want to make here. Looking at the system after 1994, I mean, your guess is quite right about why that is something that I have to pay after that. Look, the system after 1994, after we've taken democracy, we as black people were forced to live with white people without any form uh, of psychology to think about what happened or to get through that. It's like being a woman and being raped and you're invited to stay with the same men over your house. So that's the system that we had. The second point is this. Sakina, this thing of classification, we still have, like after 1994, we, we, we shouldn't have this thing of black, I mean, colored Indians. We should have black and white. Because black people are still uh, subjected to this form of being, uh, like, if you are black, we are, we are inferior. So now we had colored the Indian, they did not be called blacks because they felt black is, is associated with inferiority. The last point I wanted to make, Sakina, the question of racism. Racism is not a question of, uh, of attitude. It's a question of power. So black people can never be racism. We can't. If we have power, then we can be racist. So these are people who are calling and complaining that they have nothing to pay. Had it been the case that we had reversed the apartheid, then we had the power, then we're going to be racist. Okay, thank you so much uh, for that, Ndabezita. Peter Wiley in Grahamstown, good morning. Thank you, Sakina, and to your guest and all the listeners of various so-called races. Um, I'd just like to say or suggest to your guests that two important elements have been left out of this discussion this morning. I agree totally with your last caller. I'm talking about integrity and how racism is used uh, mainly by people wanting to maintain power or get into power. It was started, according to the research by Professor Marvin van Veek-Smith of Grahamstown, and he wrote a book on it, 
it's, the book is titled The First Ethiopians, and I would suggest that you and your, your guest listen to the CD, which your, your program manager has got. But um, the, the South Africa is proud to be the cradle of mankind. So we all started, yeah, unlike what Mark says in, uh, from the Bible, um, man started in South Africa, according to all the research. So we should be looking at leadership wanting to retain power, as the Nationalist Party did by implementing apartheid, and as the Pharaohs did on, in Africa, they were black. But if you, if you listen to the CD, where, which we discussed at our historical society this year, the first meeting of the year, and uh, Professor von Wagsmith was there at the meeting, and we discussed it. Um, it was started by the Pharaohs, who were black, but they, they actually were racists. And that's where the whole thing started. It's, it's by people wanting to, to get power over other people. And, uh, you know, I should be classified colored because my father's sister was prevented from going to school in South Africa. She had to go to Portugal. That is a fact. So I think I might have an advantage if I had a DNA test and was classified colored. Then you couldn't call me a white man and have a prejudice against me. All right, Peter Wiley, let's, let's respond to those before we take more. Some very interesting comments. I mean, first of all, quickly to deal with ZD's question. ZD, I can't tell you how important this is and how often this happens, this issue of people feeling that they want to employ people like them. I want to be surrounded by people like me, people who look like me, people who sound like me, people who are like me. And that's why we have something called the Employment Equity Act. Because that helps us to understand where we don't have enough of certain kind of people. Diversity is a positive thing for organizations. Inclusivity makes organizations creative. It makes them innovative. So this idea that I need to employ somebody like me is certainly wrong and can be racist depending on the circumstances. Very often is, in fact. Um, And then um, your other point about... um, that attitudes and things have not faded away. I want to, I want to agree with you on that as well. Uh, Yaj, I thought your comments were extremely helpful in terms of this debate. Um, and your focus on economic factors as opposed to just focusing on racist stereotyping. Um, I think that, that we have to understand that in South Africa, we don't start from a common base. If we did, it would be different. We start from a deeply unequal base where black people were seriously deprived in every areas of their lives. So we can't just say, let's just treat everybody equally and everything will be okay. We've got to first make up for that huge legacy of inequality before we can move on um, and deal with people in the same kind of way. Um, Although it would be very... um, interesting and probably even helpful to look at things like land tax and transaction tax, I think we'd be sidestepping the real need that there is for white people to deal with what they did and are still doing. So yes, it would be a more equal way, but do we need a more equal way or do we need a way that makes us as whites really confront what it is that we've done in this country? So perhaps there could be combinations. Sense, do you get a sense that white people in general are prepared to confront the situation? You know, um, Sakina, I work in so many different organizations. And, 
You know, I, I do. I mean, I get a sense that more and more white people do, and they're almost desperately wanting to say, yes, but you know, you, you, what can I do? What should we do? How can so what we deal should we with this? How, well, sh- because when we talk about social cohesion mm. uh, and those sorts of projects, I don't see that they are really having the sort of impact that uh, they were designed to or uh, mm. envisioned to have. So what exactly should we do? Well, I think that, it, again, it comes to where are we in terms of what can we do? In workplaces, we can encourage our our employers to actually have significant initiatives that bring people together and actually give budget and power to these kind of initiatives. And in fact, the workplace is incredibly powerful because it's one of the very few places where South Africans are forced to be together. So that would be one way. We can look at the curriculums that we have in our schools. How are we really... I saw last year, that last month, or last week, in fact, all sorts of articles about um, schools are teaching children to hate the ANC. Well, you know, let's examine this and let's see what should we be teaching our children about race. Um, in terms of Mark's comments, I really don't know what to say because, I mean... To go back to the Bible, I mean, then the 1853, the Property Act, and of course that was built on race, Mark. Who were the property owners? Who were the educated people in 1853? Please don't tell me that they were mainly black people. They were inclusively white people and very few black people. So that in itself was, was, um, was not, was not equal. Case. And it's still the case today. And yes, maybe race is a social construct, but you know I don't think there's any way we can look at, say, different sized noses. Um, I can tell you right now that if Sakina and I, Sakina's black and I'm white, went into a shop together at exactly the same time, the chances are that I would be the one that was going to be attended to first. If we were both raped and went to our relative police stations, that the service I get would be much better than the service Sakina gets. So, so I think we can't just pretend it's something to do with the sizes of our noses. And then Ndabazita's comments too. I mean, I think the comment you made about the psychological effect of bringing people together in 1994, I think that's never been really properly discussed, debated and unpacked. And that's part of the problem. I think apartheid was hugely damaging psychologically to black people and damaging but in a different way to white people. And because we haven't unpacked that, we as whites still have this sense of superiority. And for many black people, not all, there is this still this sense of inferiority. And how do we get on with these white people? And as you say, racism is about power. Mm. And Peter, I will get this book um, the, by Van Fake Smith and, and read it. I can't really comment on it because I haven't read it, but I'm interested to read it. And it's, it's very interesting because, you know, when people talk about black people always pulling the race card, I find that, uh, that very interesting as well because your perception of an event and how it plays out as a black person is what informs, you know, what it means to you. In the end, and I remember sharing something about um, a young a white man, a young man. He couldn't have been more than 20. And, and, and I remember coming and sharing that experience on the show with people. And for me, 
You see, the thing that gets to me as a black woman is that I don't think that he, that boy, would have said what he said to me, to Terry Oakley Smith. Mm. And this is what informs what white people would sometimes say black people calling, uh, playing the race card. Because we, we, we don't have honest conversations and then we don't understand the underlying nuances that go along with these situations. We'll take more calls after this. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. We're talking about the impact of race, uh, racism and race relations on our body politic in South Africa and speaking to Terry Oakley Smith, the managing director of diversity this morning and taking your calls on 0891-104-208. Mzwandile is calling us from Port Elizabeth. Good morning. Well, good morning. Two things from me. This whole thing comes down to improper relation with economic power uh, where one race is culturally and economically dominating another. Now, I think we, w- we would all agree, had we had a proper government that is knowledgeable about the fundamentals from 1994 of how to deal with structural inequality, we wouldn't be where we are now. Uh, and, and my last point, uh, Sakina, I wanted to talk to you about the difference between the Clothers and the Zulus and, and, the, and the impressions or the perceptions that we as Clothers once had about ourselves culturally to be superior to the Zulus, but mm. I unfortunately don't have time. But thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks. Thank you, but Thank you. but write me, send me an email. I'd love to hear mm. that because I'll, I think I'll do, I'll do that, Sakina. Thanks, Mzwandile. It's part of the problem that many of you highlight often about tribalism as well and its manifestations. Geraldine and George, good morning to you. Hello, good morning. Um, uh, I I was listening to your, the lady before, and she was saying about the police uh, giving preference to whites. I can tell you, in George. Everybody gets the same uh, um, thing of, of they, they, they take you in turn and they deal with your problem in an absolute fantastic manner. But what I actually want to say is that if we could eradicate all the slums and put people in decent little houses, with each with a, a, a toilet and a a shower and make them feel that they are someone and they and they could get an education it would help a lot could make them feel dignified i mean the, the people of there's so many ministers in 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 government and nobody's doing anything about the outer people in doctors don't want to go out there because there's no place to live Okay, that's Geraldine and George. Polani is in King Williamstown. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. Uh, my contribution is that I, I hear a lot of the, of, of the talks and I agree with a lot of it. But one thing I, 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 I keep missing is that no one's pointing the fact that we are all racist. We are all we all have a that thread in us to be prejudiced against those. I like the caller who mentioned the fact that uh, one uh, tribe, uh, the Kosas or the Zulus or the Sutus, tends to be uh, prejudiced towards the other. And I, I I just wanted to point it out that people need to realize we all have this in us. Of course, some of us uh, have been raised up well to be able to to curb it and to to prevent it from rising up and showing itself. And some people 
people, unfortunately, especially during apartheid, were raised up in a time where it was encouraged to think this way. And so black people, colored people, or others who perhaps are being discriminated against uh, must stop thinking that racism or racist people are only white people. I want to submit to you that every one of us have it in us. This is why we prefer to hang around with black people rather than sit with some white people. And this is why white people would prefer to live in a place where there's only whites or colors prefer to live alone. It's just because we all have it in us. It's just that uh, some of us are very good at suppressing it and because we recognize that it's not acceptable. That's 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 really all what I wanted to add to contribute. Thank you so much, uh, Tolani. And let me just uh, read a few uh, comments. Uh, Ikwane says, the cognitive dissonance about racism in the South African black community is epic. Black South Africans are as racist as any other group own it. Mags Naidu says the assumption that the fight against apartheid was a fight against racism is flawed. Equal rights is not equality. At Tato AE says any freedom without justice is flawed. Ours is exactly that. The mistake the class of 94 made was to assume that whites were honest partners. Uh, Dukes Mokwena says we haven't systematically and fully addressed all kinds of racism in South Africa. In theory, yes, but practically, no. Thorny says uh, the problem with race relations in South Africa is that Mandela rushed to reconciliation when we were never conciliated before. And a final one from uh, Letana Letlohonolo says your guest is the definition of truth this morning. And Temba says interesting discussion on race, radical and non-racialism on SAFM uh, this morning. So it's an interesting discussion and uh, we accept that it does make people uncomfortable very uncomfortable uh, judging by some of the messages coming through Mm. you know but I think we just have to deal with the discomfort live with the discomfort because I think if we don't really get to grips with this we are going to be in for a very difficult time in this country Um, every time issues are raised they become racial incidents they become racial issues and that to me suggests that this is something that we really haven't dealt with effectively And, you know, yet the fact that we are all so different has the potential to be one of the greatest riches for our country. We are so privileged uh, compared to many other countries because we have this great diversity. And yet we're afraid of it. I mean, uh, Golani's um, uh, uh, call or, or message almost made me think that, you know, he's suggesting we go back to the apartheid days where, you know, blacks stay with blacks and coloreds stay with coloreds and whites stay with whites. And we would be missing out so hugely in terms of what we could achieve as a nation if we if we reverted to that. So uncomfortable though it may make us, I want us to continue these discussions wherever we are and be prepared to listen to each other. Um, and as white people, maybe be prepared to take a bit of a back seat and really listen to, to our brothers and sisters in South Africa and what they have to say about this very important issue. Well, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much, uh, Terry Oakley-Smith, and to everybody who participated this morning and the production team. It's nine o'clock and time for the news with Norm Samdluli.